What's going on, my money crazy lunatics? Welcome back to another episode. This time, Brandon and I tag team, and we talk to a loan officer, someone that I have you know the same kind of circle with, went to a similar high school, so I knew of him, and he reached out and wanted to come on the podcast, and I figured, you know what, this is a great opportunity to get my community learning about um, being a first-time home buyer, what to look for, and the, the distinction between buying a home and looking at it as an investment versus just your first home. Because, you know, Ryan, who is the guest on this podcast, creates this distinction. And I think he, he's he's pretty spot on. Um, and why a lot of people are afraid of uh, this real estate market. Just like the stock market, the real estate market is on a tear. An absolute tear. And, and to be honest with you on a bigger tear than the stock market, especially in my neck of the woods. You got the Northern California, greater Sacramento area, which is where I'm a realtor at. And I own my partner at uh, Paramount Real Estate. So if you're looking for a home in the area, California, and now Nevada, DM me, hit me up. You know where to get my contact information. Let's get something working for you. Because I think, look, I hear, I hear fear in a lot of people. I see a lot of fear. You know, first-time home buyers or those thinking about it, they're they're priced out, um, or they're worried um, that housing prices are just too high. I wouldn't even entirely disagree how ridiculous the housing prices are. But if you're gonna use 08 as a reason why you're afraid and you think with absolute certainty the market is going to correct, I think you're wrong. I think. You're looking for just another excuse why not to buy a home. I think that's the wrong one. Look, 08's a completely different ballpark. What happened in 08 was you had people in their cities buying bigger and better real estate because of these uh, these ninja loans, right? These non no income verification loans, um, and they were getting completely irresponsible with lending, and that's what happened. Right, it was it was it was a lending issue. People were biting off more than they could chew. In this market, the seller's market is different. It's not driven by pent up demand within each individual housing market itself. It's outside money coming in and flocking to suburban areas. So when you're living in your area and you're looking at housing prices and you're freaking out because shit is going for 50, 60, 70 over asking, yeah. Um, that is quite the sight to see, but you have to, to, to dial back your expectations. You got to understand what's going on here. It's not inside money, right? It's not your next door neighbor trying to upsize their house. That's not really happening here. What's happening is outside money who still thinks real estate is at a discount. Right? If you have someone in San Francisco living in a two bedroom shack, which is probably worth about one to 1.2. You're going to tell him that a five or six, $600,000 house is expensive to him. He's going to laugh at you and pay cash because that's exactly what's been happening. So just keep in mind, if you're waiting for a major real estate market correction, I, I fear you're going to have to keep waiting and you're going to get priced out even further, especially in suburban suburban areas, I don't think you're going to see dramatic real estate corrections. You're just not. I don't think so. A lot of people argue it's not going to happen um, because look, lending is under control. And, and I, I keep reading and I keep hearing people are worried about forbearances. Um, no, banks do not want to do that. They don't want to foreclose on someone's property. They just don't because they tried to do that in 08 and it's too much of a hassle. So banks are letting this ride and they're going to continue to. I was working at a bank before, you know, I I pursued this entrepreneurial endeavor. And I'm telling you, that's what I saw. Um, forbearance, if you're waiting for default rates to skyrocket, I, I think you're looking at the real estate market uh, with the wrong lens. Um, so just with that, keep that in mind. Stay stay with an open mind in this episode because Ryan does a great job talking about why you should consider buying a home now.
right? I, I still think it's a great time, especially if, and I preach this with the stock market, and I'll preach it with real estate, widen your time horizon. If you're looking to make a quick flip, a quick buck, then yeah, real estate uh, could get you into some trouble. But if you go in with the right mindset, I don't think real estate's a bad idea, especially for investment properties. I think it's a, it's a fantastic idea because just as the housing market has been on a tear, the rental market has been on more of a tear. There is such a demand for rentals right now. People are kind of forgetting about that. So I'm going to stop ranting and I'm going to you know get you guys tuned into this interview with Ryan. Hope you guys enjoy it. Introduce yourself to us, man. So uh, my name is Ryan G. I'm a mortgage loan originator for Paramount Residential Mortgage Group. Um, got in the business. I've been in the mortgage industry for about five years. Uh, I just started originating loans a few months ago, but um, I've been around. I've uh, known a lot of people. Sorry, if you hear dogs barking, those are my dogs. I've got two two dogs, two cats, and they are just they're crazy. Oh, you're good. Man. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> Right on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I, I just enjoy helping people learn how to, uh, get into home ownership and build equity through, um, owning a home and doing work on their home. I was in the appraisal side of the mortgage industry for a while too. So I understand that side of things pretty well. I've got a good grasp on that. Right. Uh, and, um, debt consolidation stuff is something that I'm, really, really interested in right now because COVID has come around and there is data showing that people are using their credit cards 30 to 50% more now in yep. the past yep. year than they had prior. And, yep. you know, I, I hate to think that people are just buying things because they're stuck in their home. I, I want to believe that people are only using their credit cards for smart purchases, but like to survive, like with food and yeah, no, it's it's highly doubtful though. So, highly doubtful. Um, what I do is I analyze people's um, credit and more specifically like the amount of money that they spend on their credit cards and how much monthly payments they have on it. And I leverage the equity that they have in their home and um, give them like a cash out refi to pay off those debts so they they no longer have to do that. And, you know, yep. I've saved my most recent client $2,000 a month, um, 600 on our mortgage. And then on top of it, we wiped out $1,400 a month of credit card debt. And, um, Excellent. I think that that's such a powerful uh, kind of thing for people, especially in these times right here. But that's a little bit about me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Big, big real estate um, and mortgage person. I'm a huge advocate of it, and uh, I just love teaching people who might not know yeah, yeah, yeah. as much as they should. You know, it's not something that's taught in schools, unfortunately. It's not. And, you know, we're, we're so thankful for you coming on because as Brandon and I were discussing this. You know, there's a lot of big news, a lot of big economic data coming this next mm -hmm. week on, you know, just expectations of inflation. And with that. You know, mortgage rates tend to really, really move up and down and sideways when uh, big econ data comes out like this. So right, it's yeah. on Tuesday, I believe. It's supposed yep. to be the data that's the supposed CPI. to be all the indicators to it. Absolutely, and everyone knows or should know that uh, home ownership and just own land ownership in general, one of the best hedges against uh, long-term inflation. Yep. Um, you know, especially if you're someone uh, like me who traditionally likes to get into these really high growth plays. Well, you have to understand when you're when you're looking at company expectations like, oh, well, they're expected to go from 10 million to 14 million dollars with revenue. Well, if inflation is high, well, 10 to 14 million dollars is way less impressive. So yeah. growth expectations get cut real short because of inflation. So you have to be careful where your stocks are. You need to be mindful where your leverage is. Yeah. And when you're talking about leverage, like margin in general, like typically you never want to go into debt to own cryptocurrency. You you don't like going into to debt to own stocks on margin, but everyone loves going into debt for real estate. It's one of the few sort of good debts you can get into right? because you can get those locked in rates low, low. now and not have to deal with it later on into the future. So um, 
I feel like I have a ton of questions to ask personally because me and my girlfriend are actually looking at buying our first property here down here in okay. Texas. And there's uh, there's so much I don't know. And uh, I think admitting I don't know any of this is going to be much more uh, productive for me and hopefully make me a very hopeful learner today. For sure. Yeah. No, and I, I can absolutely help you with that. Um, homeownership is something that and the debt specifically to become a home home ownership is something that's so um, intriguing. You know, you're right. You don't really want to go into debt when you're looking to invest in things. You don't want to play with other people's money when you're investing, you know, anywhere else other than a home. And I think part of that is because, well, everybody has to live somewhere. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. You know, the other side of that is it's um, because you live there and because you're able to do things to it and because you're able to put appreciation into your home. Yeah, appreciation. Doing things yourself. So like stocks, you can not really control how much appreciation goes into a stock, you know? Correct. When you buy a house, you can control to a certain extent how much appreciation goes into, you know, your home's value. If I buy a complete dumpster fire of a house and I put in all new floors, I put in new counters, new cabinetry, you know, do a um, new concrete outside and landscape the damn place, right. I'm going to see a return on investment and I can see it relatively quick, right. uh, especially in a market with low inventory and a market with low rates. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, I think that's why it's a safer gamble to play with other people's money when you're looking to invest in things. And I also think people's perception on real estate, because look, at stock market, you have an instant feedback loop, right? It's intraday pricing, so you get to see the volatility every second, every minute. With real estate, people feel like it's less volatile, although that's not entirely true. There's smoothing in, involved. But that's why I also think people are okay with going into debt, because they're not they're not seeing the, those fluctuations in their the market price, market value of their home. Um, because it's, there's just not, there's nothing that tracks it. Right. Like true. This, you I know what I mean? Was, there's this perception that there's no volatility in real estate. I, I, I do have <laughs> a question know? about volatility yeah. in real estate, right? Yeah. Because, um, I live in Austin, Texas and it is one, it's so volatile right now. I, and I mean like in the upward direction, it's a, it's a big boom town. And I struggle with the concept that. Uh, I hate buying properties when everything's at an all-time high. And I understand you shouldn't try and time a market. I should be yeah. looking for something there. But at a certain point, uh, you know, like with the stock, I can look and go like, well, the PE ratio here doesn't make sense to justify that. Like, is there anything like that when it comes to real estate that I can use to justify like, hey, is this house actually worth what they're asking for? Like, what's reasonable here? What are some factors I can look at? This is how I look at it. And uh, I was actually going to counter what Josh was saying about, um, you know. Oh, yeah. Please defeat him first. I'm not, not going to defeat him. I think he's got very valid <laughs> points. I was just going to, uh, counter is even a strong word. I was just going to add on mm. to say that, you know, not everybody looks at real estate as an investment. That's, something That's right. You gotta remember. Absolutely. Oh. People buy real estate to live, you know. Yep. People don't buy stocks because they want to live in an AMC, let's say, because we were talking about that a little earlier. People aren't going to go live in an AMC building because they bought two shares of, you know, a $10 right. stock, yep. right? People buy houses because they want to live in that house and they don't want to rent from someone and they want to be able to do whatever they want to it. Yep. And it's it's the great American dream. The great American dream is to own a home, you know? Be a, <laughs> yep. be a neighbor and own a home. So. And the great American yeah. dream caused 08 partially, right? <laughs> uh, agreed more so, yeah. Yep. But I 100% I agree that there were... Um, the people that used 08 to acquire their American dream. Yep. And unfortunately that American dream was, I'm going to buy the nicest house that I physically can. Absolutely. With, you know, the money I don't have yep. and the money that nobody's going to track. Good old ninja um, loans, baby. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, and then to, to answer your question, it's to me, very simple. Are you looking to buy a home because you're looking to invest in real estate or are you looking to buy a home because you're tired of renting right now? It's like both, right? Like the idea is I hate the idea that every month I'm literally burning money or solving somebody else's money problem with 
my rental property, right? And the the second option is is like uh, I'm a veteran, so I can use a VA loan. I can jump I into that. any property with no money down. So like I can I can utilize that if I want to. So it's not even like a down payment per se. I just I don't know um, because of that, and I don't need the down payment. It's timing's not an issue for me. I don't have to worry about okay, well, what if I don't have the money set aside now to buy a house? You know. I can yeah. kind of wait, play it out. I'll offer so, this to you, Brandon. What? So you think real estate in Austin is expensive, right? You think it is. And I think it's going to get worse. But do you think the people that are moving For to better. Austin think it's expensive? Because I would argue they would think it's cheap. Which is exactly Correct. why they're coming with cash offers. Because... For you, it's expensive because you've lived there your whole life. But what we're seeing out in the cities in California outside like suburban towns is people are coming from L.A., people are coming from San Francisco, and they view this these as a value place. They really mm -hmm. do. They think it's cheap. They sell their little two-room shack in L.A. for a million bucks, and they can buy a fucking mansion in Austin. Yeah, you know? and what do you think, yeah. Ryan? Okay, so here, there's a lot to unpack there. First, Brandon, for your specific scenario, you want to buy a home, but you're afraid of yeah. buying it out of the market. Here, oh, it, it's not that. even a home. It's uh, I'm even looking at like a duplex. I'm thinking okay. about like yeah. moving in and then renting out another unit. Yeah, even yeah. How better. Love it. Even better. Here's what I would say to that. Let's just go with the scenario that you're buying a single family home, not a duplex, and it's just sure. you and um, your girl living there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, if you're planning on staying there for yeah. years, yeah. if you can afford it now, who cares? So look at the yeah. NFL. The NFL, they're yeah. doing all these contracts. They're kicking the can down the road. They're using a bunch of um, terms like uh, – they use a bunch of legal terms that basically they, – they kick all that – all the worries down the road. They'll figure it out later. They'll restructure contracts in three, five years, okay? If you're looking to just own a home and live, buy what you can afford now where you want to live yeah. and just live. Yeah. If you want to invest, you can time the market a little bit better because you can wait for there to be more properties available than there are buyers. You know, you can wait for other things. The longer you wait to buy the house that you want to live in and stop renting, especially in a market like right now where inventory is so low, you're just you're pigeonholing yourself because out here in Sacramento area, yeah, appreciation is up a half percent a month right now, approximately. Yeah. That's a figure that I got from one of my uh, appraisal friends. So <laughs> the longer that you wait, yep. the less you're going to be able to afford for something that you kind of need right now. Now, the biggest thing that I feel, and I haven't gathered all of the market data to, um really back this up with, you know, fact, I use a lot of conjecture, but in, uh, inflation plays a huge part in appreciation, obviously. And so right. if, if you plan on owning a home, it might be an all time high now, and you might own that home during some sort of mortgage recession. But at the end of the day, history shows everything climbs up eventually. Yeah. Right. So whatever, one of the, whatever sorry, you please. think, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry for, you know, rambling. But no, no, no. No, please. Yeah, please. We had you, you on. Please. <laughs> if you buy it, let's say 300000 out there. I don't know what the prices are like in uh, Austin right now. And in two years, the market just takes a complete nosedive turn for the worst, and it's worth like two twenty-five, let's say, or less. Yep. Right. But, you, but you planned already in your head, I'm keeping this house for 10 years. Odds are you're going to see it rebound back and you'll be able to eventually sell it at 300, 310, 350, whatever, right? Yep. And at that point, you're making a fat profit because you've been in it 10 years, you've paid off 10 years of your loan and you've seen a little bit of market appreciation. That's the way yeah. I see it. Yep. Investment and owning real estate should not be, they're, they're not things that coincide with one each other, uh, one another. It's, right. you know, two different things because there's two different people looking into it. Yep. You can invest in real estate, but for the majority of Americans, we're buying homes to live right now. Yeah. Right. I think in my particular instance, my, my game plan is something along the lines of, I want to use a VA loan to buy a property that I can house hack on. I want to live there long enough to satisfy the intent of the VA loan, 
continue to make payments on the property while I rent out the other property. And then eventually try and pull enough equity out of that so I can actually buy a house that I'd want to like live in and start yeah. a family in for a certain amount of time. And keep the um, first one so, right? as a rental? Absolutely, as a right. rental. So when I move out of that unit, now I have two open rental units at a location, at one location, so it's easier to manage one property. Yep. Um, and then from there, maybe look at buying additional rental properties once I start getting equity paid off of both locations again. Um, but I know it's a lot harder than it sounds. You know, it sounds real good on paper. And it's just, you know, it's uh, when you when you invest with stocks, right, you can move large sums of money, but you're never dealing with a share price that's over like $3,000. But there's always a little bit of apprehension when you're looking at like, you know, properties that are worth several hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, you know, it's going to be serious time and, and legwork in the investment. So like, um, do you have any... Do you have any sort of advice for like when you first move into a property, like what signs to look for? Like how can you find like a, a house that, uh, you know, has already had the expensive renovations done versus the cheap cosmetic stuff? Like what's the, you know, what are you looking for? Okay. Yeah. So um, we can use my house as an example. Um, and actually I shouldn't call it, I live here. Um, it's our home, but my girlfriend is the one who bought the house and it's on her credit. Now there is a, a reason why we did it that way. Um, we are planning to move to San Diego in a few years, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanted as little uh, debts as possible on my credit so we can afford more out there when we go to rent this place out. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we were looking for houses and we bought a house that was just flipped, um, a nice house. It's in Loomis. I don't for anybody who's out there. It's right outside of Sacramento. Yep. A nice quiet town. Um, it's got laminate hardwood floors. It's got um, white, like I want to say marble countertops, but it could be uh, you know something a little bit cheaper than that. I'm not 100 percent sure, uh, but it looks nice. And we went right. something that we wouldn't have to do too much to on the outside or on the inside and um just the yard needed some work so we just redid the concrete um it's just all about what i guess you feel you can do yourself or you feel you can add value to like um someone potentially wanting to rent or buy your house so we're gonna add a deck because you know i think that that would be more attractive for someone than if they just had um it's like a dirt area behind the garage. And so we're going to turn our garage kind of in like a hangout area and put a deck around there. And I think that that would be more <clears throat> appealing to someone who may be looking to buy a house um, that is, you know, in a small, quiet neighborhood. Um, yeah. And when it, you build a deck or something like that, is that like an extension to the house? Do you need to file that with the city or anything? Or is that something you can do? You typically would. Wouldn't you need the permit, at least permits? permits for it i i think we weren't planning on pulling any permits because it's not attached to our actual house our garage is detached so i believe oh, gotcha and it's something that you know we're still in the very beginning stages of but i believe you can do that just a, a deck if it's just you know in your backyard <laughs> you don't necessarily sure. permit it as long as it's done in a workmanlike manner and it's done by a, a professional um you know with the right license for it um, but you know, that is definitely something that she's going to double check on. Cause I don't, I don't typically look at any of that. I just, you know, put my input into as, you know, what I would like, what I'm looking for. And then right. she basically does all gotcha. the work and makes it happen. She, she is the captain that runs the ship. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's something that's, uh, I think important for a lot of people is like, you need to find a partner that is willing to go those extra miles with you that shares that same like vision and mindset. It's incredibly important, you yeah. know, especially if you're ambitious. Um, so, you know, and to, yeah. And to answer the rest of your question, when you're buying a house and if you want to put a lot of work into it and a lot of elbow grease, look for something that's got old counters, look for something that's got a lot of oak, something that looks like it was built mm -hmm. in the eighties and it hasn't been touched um, tile countertops, you know, stuff like that. That adds a lot of value carpet throughout the entire house. Yeah, tear it gotcha. up, put some laminate in. Like it's not 
super expensive. It's not like it's actual like real hardwood and you know, it looks nice and it's nice enough that people will come in from the Bay area and they'll pay a ridiculous amount of money for it <laughs> up here. But don't right? make it so your perfect. dream house, Brandon, because that's where yeah. people no, go no, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I want the house to work for me eventually. I don't want to work for the house, right? Like yeah. I want yeah. it to. And what we're doing right now, we're kind of house hacking. Um, we've got a single family house. My little brother just moved in. He pays us a little bit here and there uh, for rent. And that's mm-hmm. basically the, all of that's just going straight toward the principal balance. We'll pay the rest of the mortgage uh, payment oh, okay. we're supposed to. And whatever he gives us mm-hmm. goes straight to principal. Right. Pay it you off know? early. Uh, yeah or we'll keep it we'll use it for certain renovations like i'm sure we'll keep a little bit of we'll stash a little bit of it away and keep that as fun money for the deck we want to redo the garage and you know we've got other stuff that we have to do to the house but um that's just something to keep in mind when you're going out and looking for your first house um, especially our age not everyone <laughs> can buy a house right now so if you're one of the lucky few that can go buy the house and sure. you know leverage your friendships who don't want to rent from someone they don't know yeah. and say hey you know this person might not let you paint your room the way you want it paint it however you want with you know exception don't make it like an all black room and like you know don't put a, don't put like holes in the wall or anything but you know right. I'll, I'll let you make it as homey as possible and that you know generally you'll be able to get someone to help you with your mortgage and help put you in a better spot um down the road and Brandon, I that's think, a brilliant idea. I think for you, you know, in the stock market recently, you're seeing so many things move together in unison just based off like headline news. But I think you have to understand with real estate, a lot of the different markets across the country are completely segmented from each other, which is why I love real estate. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, just different cities and different types of real estate perform differently. So I think with that, you kind of have to understand the market you're in specifically and not just look at the broader highs of the national real estate market when people are fearful. I I think one of the things that's becoming really attractive to me about real estate is that uh, leverage seems to be more and more important the more I understand equity, the more I learn about it. And with the stock market, like most people recommend never having more than like 20% margin but like the most you can ever get leverage out of like a small account is like 50%. Yep. But with real estate, with like 25% down, you can secure these massive $100,000 investments and hold them for significant periods of time at a rate that's pretty low that you can also like turn into a cash producing asset. So it's like, it sounds super attractive to me. uh, And it sounds like definitely something now that my, my income scaled up, I have enough assets that I can leverage. I have, you know, a solid credit score that's built up. Um, it's definitely something I want to go for, but you know, it's just uh, I'm nervous. It's my first property. Um, yeah, no, and I, I get that. A lot of people, you know, listening to this channel who are looking to buy um, their first house, they probably share the same sentiment. Hell, we shared yeah. the same sentiment. We were scared at first to buy your mm-hmm. uh, first home, but. You know, now that we've done it, we've been able to do some of these projects and really see it change. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the exciting yeah. part. You know, yeah, it becomes yours. Yeah. Nervous and excitement for me though go hand in hand with everything I do. I mean, right? like it's a it's a good sort of nervous. Yeah, and it's a long time horizon. Like Ryan said, if you keep a long time horizon, you're in so much more of a better spot too. Like it's absolutely. Yeah, especially in this market, you have to keep your horizon wide. And I guess the sentiment that I'll leave the viewers with, um, if you're looking to get into your, if you're a first-time homeowner, stop coming into uh, the market with the idea that, you know, I'm doing this as an investment because your first home, while you could make some money on it, think of it more as it's going to just be your first home, you know? do things to it that will help appreciate its value and turn it into an asset, but don't look at it as an investment, at least not right away. Look at it as an investment down the road when you have other funds to play with and you can get into the actual real estate um, sector as an investor. I think that's something that too many people have a mindset of a little bit too young. Just get in, 
figure out, you know, what it's like to own a home and, mm -hmm. and then go from there. We say that a lot with the stock market too. Whenever we start pitching to new investors, look at index funds that don't require a lot of maneuvering, um, because it's important. It's important to learn the speed of the market, and the only way to do that's to get in, right? So if you get in, get in in a slow, reliable vehicle, right? Don't look for the most efficient route just yet. Do your best job at learning the speed of the stuff, and then get in. Yeah. All right. Hey, and thank you so much for all the advice and for coming on the podcast. You're very uh, No, we're not done yet. <laughs> oh. No, we got more questions. He, he said, uh, I got gotcha. you. He said the no, you got you got more time, Ryan? We got more yeah, questions. Yeah, 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 I got more time. I was just saying the okay, just in terms of, you know, getting yeah. into the market. We can, Yeah, we can yeah. discuss. Okay. Yeah, I ain't Everybody. done with, with you yet, man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I was just trying to pick up on social media. No, there's, no, there's good stuff. No. Um, Excellent. Oh, okay. So the mortgage process for a first time home buyer, what does that look like? You know, cause you're, you're more experienced in it than I am. You know, you you live it day to day. What does that process look like for a first time home buyer and what kind of programs out there, you know, right now and what kind of rates are you seeing? What, what kind of options do first time home buyers have right now? So rates a tricky one cause it's super dependent on yep you know, just individual. So I'm not going to really float out rates. Fair enough. But um, the mortgage process in itself is not an overly difficult one, especially if you don't own your own business, which the majority of first-time homebuyers don't. Um, you're probably a W-2 employee, uh, either hourly or salary right out of college, right? And so basically you just provide some documents that after you talk to a mortgage professional they'll interview you then they'll send you over a needs list of the thing the documents that they will need to get the ball rolling right and then if you don't have an agent we hook you up with one josh is a, a wonderful agent <laughs> you know i'm sure he'd be happy to help anyone up in the uh in the california or, or nevada market and um you know we connect uh the agent and i would connect and We'll share the pre-approval letterhead and yep. you guys will, um, well, actually you guys will probably find a house first and then we give you your pre-approval letterhead with, you know, your offer and everything. And, you know, it's, it's really that simple. Can um, you get well, pre-approved before you even find homes? I, cause I know right now it's so competitive. Can you do that? Yeah. Yes. You can get pre-approved, um, for like just a, a general, um, loan amount. Yes how much you can buy, how much you're going to put down, all that sort of stuff. But really the wheels don't start turning until yeah. you get a property. Until right. you have a property address sure. to put in the file. Um, but, you know, you can get the groundwork started and you can give like, um, like it would be a very, very, like there's conditional approvement, uh, approvals once you're in your loan, but it's somewhat like a conditional approval up front with the condition being you got to find a home and all the other conditions have to, you know, be met as well. So that's kind of how I look at it. I'm sure that's, yep. there's probably a better way for me to um, relay that message. But... Quick question, if I may. Yeah. Uh, so we, we have a lot of viewers that are military or veterans. Uh, we're, me and Josh are very active on a military investors group as well. Um, so regarding VA loans, would they have to, if they wanted to do a similar pre-approval process would that, mm -hmm. they need to do something similar or is there yeah. a different process yeah. altogether with that? Yeah, no. Um, great question. me if I'm wrong, John. Yeah. Great question. And thank you for your service. I know I said that to Josh already, um, when we <laughs> our, our first call. But, You're my hero, um, Brandon. <laughs> thank you for your support. I, I, I appreciate it. I do. Yeah, no, I, I want to make sure that, you know. I show appreciation to those who put, yeah, you know, their, their lives on the line for us, because I know for damn sure I couldn't be in the military. I'm just, um, I don't, I, take, I, 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 don't I do, I don't I do take Okay. Well, Hey, you know, my life every... hasn't been on the line, so, but, I, but I do appreciate you. you have, I, I appreciate hey, you help people whose lives are on the front line. But there you go. You're, you know, you're, you're a part That's of it. Bit of that. You're, you're a part of it. Thanks, man. Okay. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, and forgive me if I'm wrong on the uh, 
form that you need, but I believe you need to get your DD214. God, you got <laughs> it. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a VA loan yet, but I have pre-approved yep. uh, somebody for a VA loan, and it's very similar. You, you yeah. do all, you know, most of the similar stuff. Basically, what I do as a loan officer <laughs> and a loan originator is I get all of the documents needed to get a credible loan um, in front of my processor and in front of our underwriter and make sure that it meets all guidelines. That's it. I mean, it's a very simple, um, it's very simple from the borrower standpoint and very simple from the loan originator standpoint. Yeah. We just make sure that we can make a deal work and then we get it to the people who make the deal work. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, we, Every, not every, but most lenders will have um, a VA channel yeah. and mm-hmm. they will be able, it's all very similar. You get that DD-214 form um, to see how much your certificate of eligibility is. and you know, That's the key, the COE. That's mm-hmm. what you need. Yeah, um, you need to be honorably discharged. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, it's a little bit different, but from... A, it's a it's a little bit different on the loan originating side and like a process standpoint. Yep. But it's relatively the same for the buyer. Yeah, Brandon. Um, to answer your question, you need the DD two fourteen, um, and you submit or the NGB NGB form twenty two for National Guard because I just got my COE. So it's a it's a bullshit process. It's hard actually because it just it's the government, right? You, of course. You got to send it to the VA. So it, it the sucks. office is only working open the third Tuesday yeah. of every month. Sorry to – I just had to throw it out there, Ryan, so people know. Yeah, it's yeah. either the DD-214 for active or NGB Form 22 for mm-hmm. National Guard slash Reserve. So, yeah. Perfect. And, yeah. and yeah, and it might be difficult to get those forms because you're either this, the government. But from a, <laughs> yep. from a borrowing standpoint, it's relatively – it's like I said, it's not Absolutely. a hard – process to get approved and to start shopping for a house how important is it to be pre-approved in this market ryan are you seeing it's almost a must to have that or what what are you seeing yeah no it's essential to be pre-approved yeah uh, prior most because of covid and limited showings and you know the limited amount of people they're allowed to let in to see a house you have to have a pre-approval yeah. before even stepping foot on a property, at least out here. I don't know about the rest of the country. Well, um, I can only see so much going on out here. Yeah. In Austin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you you have to. Absolutely have to be pre-approved. Yeah. For would you recommend a local lender for your first home? Or would you – Good question. How would you recommend finding a lender? Ooh. I think lenders um, – that is a very good question. Um, and I'm Thanks. a little bit, I'm a little bit impartial because my branch is based out of Santa Rosa and I do most of my business here in the Sacramento area. So it's not technically local <laughs> to like where my branch is, but I think that the lending side of things, um, you want to be within, you know, the same realm and you just want to be able to trust the person that you're, you're going with to make sure that they're going to make your loan work and. Um, you know, do all the right things because you don't want hiccups down the road. Do you recommend um, shopping? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, a lot of my clients, you know, I I don't get upset if they shop me because yep. most of them come right back anyways. <laughs> um, great. Uh, the company that I work for, uh, they do have great rates when it comes down to like our competitors. Um, but I also know that I'm going to give them as a, a young a uh, fresh loan originator, I'm going to be hustling to make sure their deal works because I work off of referrals and I want them to be able to refer them, refer me another to all of their friends, all of their family. I want, I want to leave such a lasting imprint on them that yep. I'm their lender for life. And I'm sure a lot of people have that same sentiment. Um, yep. other right. there. But to answer your question, I think that, um, you when it comes to local it's not necessarily something that's like um as important as maybe a local realtor um Mm -hmm. unless 
unless you're a realtor um, from out of the area that is very well versed in whatever market you're going to. Yeah. Uh, and I'll give an example. Um, a friend of mine is looking to buy a home in uh, the Chico area. Mm-hmm. in and around Chico and they have a realtor that they've been working with they've been trying to buy a house up in Oregon for a while and that mm-hmm. uh that realtor's dual license so she could come to California nice um but if you don't know other agents um in the area that you're you're helping your client buy a house in it can make it a little bit more difficult uh, especially like if you've worked with a, a certain agent before and you're like, Hey, are we competitive with this offer? What can we do to be more competitive? You know, stuff like that. If you know the agent, it's easier to have those conversations than if you don't know yeah. the agent. <clears throat> and so that's where I would say local agents are, uh, for real estate are probably a little bit better. Unless of course you're, um, an expert in whatever market you're going to be in and you're not afraid to ask those questions, you know? Sure. I have a, I have another question. Uh, so law of decreasing marginal utility for you, for your kids in the back room, it's like, you know, too many shifts, right? Uh, there, there's a point where you have too much of one thing and it's no longer as useful in regards yeah. to credit scores and buying real estate. Ooh. At what point is your, at what point is your credit score ideal? And at what point are you, is your credit, you know, you've, you've gotten your credit score so high, it really isn't helpful anymore. Mm. When should you, yeah. you know, I know a lot of people get like nervous about like, oh, my credit's only a 680. And a lot of people are like, oh, my credit's only a 780. I want to be a perfect 800 before I buy my home. Like how much credit is too much, would you say? And how much is too little? Mm. It's a good question. Um, How much is too much? The answer is there, I mean, there really is never too much. The big thing when it comes down to credit is your, um, how much money you are spending a month in, any sort of debts, uh, that, and the actual credit score, I think the highest yeah. that we, you know, give it like a LPA on or whatever. Yeah. Is 740. Anything yeah. above mm-hmm. that, it really doesn't do much of a difference after. Yeah. And then it's okay. every 20 below that yeah. you get hit with, uh, X amount of points on yep. your loan. And, um, so for those of you who don't know what a point is on your loan, it's 1% of the loan and it's a fee to basically buy that rate. Yep. So, um, if you have a 720 and, um, to get, let's, I'm going to throw out just a Easy. ridiculous, yeah. a ridiculous number, 7% loan. It's not something that we do. I'm just saying it because I don't <laughs> want anyone. I don't want anyone coming to me and saying, oh, you said I could get a blah, blah, blah rate right. in a podcast, right? So I'm mm-hmm. going to use a ridiculous number. And that's, you know, when I was going through uh, different education stuff, they were using ridiculous rates too. And I'm assuming it's probably better sure. than why. Um, so let's say at a 720, you're going to get a 7% um, interest rate on a loan. But if you had a 740, then maybe the cost of that rate would have been a little bit better. It would have been a little bit cheaper. Yep. Um, that, that basically is all it does. It's um, once you start getting into the, you know, s- mid to low 600s, then mm-hmm. things start getting wonky. And I think FHA goes um, pretty low. So even if you don't have great credit, you know, yeah. still, still contact a lender, you know, help. Mm-hmm. Come ask me, we'll get an app and we'll see. And a lot of lenders have different programs where they can, you know, look and see if you did X, Y, and Z, what would that do to your credit? And we can help try and, um, we don't advise you on how your credit will go up. We just say, Hey, the bureaus are saying, if you did this, this, and that, then we can, um, you know, it's it's voodoo, right? No one knows how it works. It's just voodoo magic. Yeah, (laughs) We're all algorithms. I'm fairly certain how it works is like they decapitate a chicken and throw its corpse over the ground and like wherever the body drops, like whatever tile floor it is, that has the answer to whatever I question. I think that's right. It's dude. like a magic eight ball, but a little bit more. Isn't that from South Park, uh, dude? Yes, yes. <laughs> bail out the banks, bail out the insurance companies. 
so Ryan, what are some things? What are some things for first-time home buyers? Because you know you talked about the low inventory, and that's making the market so competitive. What are some of the things that first-time home buyers can do to stand out in their offer? Or what are some of the things you're seeing? I know you're on the loan side, but what kind of whispers are you hearing? Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit different on the loan side. I mean, we just give. So I know that for some reason, putting in your offer that you're going to be going conventional 20% down yeah. is something that um, is really attractive. Sure. I don't personally get it because, you know, a 3%, I, I get the conventional versus FHA aspect because maybe uh, your house has a little bit of, you know, siding issues and FHA would require you to fix that. Whereas conventional, yeah. conventional really doesn't. That's what it so comes get, down to, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that, but like the 3% versus the 20% doesn't make any damn sense to me. Sure. Because in this market, especially if you're buying a $500,000 home, I don't, I don't know too many people that just have a hundred K lying around for a first time home buyer, you know? Yeah. Hell, I don't, I don't know too many people with a hundred K lying around, you know, that are doing their move up houses unless they, you know, bought back in 08 or in the nineties and they, you know, haven't moved or refied since. Right. So, um, supposedly having more down does help that. Um, I recently heard that you're not allowed to do, um, letters anymore. I don't know if that's true, Josh. Um, yeah, I heard, um, (laughs) so I know I, 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 you know, I've, well, I don't want to incriminate myself, then I'll just keep that one to myself. <laughs> um, but I have not heard that, Ryan. So I will look at that later. Food, food for thought. Maybe look it up. Yeah. Uh, I, know that, I know that you don't do it, but just well, anybody. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> um, I know that you don't do it, but like, you know. So, yeah. Um, when it comes down to it, in this market, it's not easy for first time yeah. home buyer to, um, you know, it, it's not, it's not as easy, I would say. Um, and I can't yeah. speak too much to that because I'm not a realtor. I don't sure. see like the other offers. I don't talk to the other realtor to see what other offers they had. Yeah. But Justin, like our experience trying to buy this first home, we got, uh, we had a, 10% down conventional loan and in uh, one of our offers in the house in Roseville and they turned us down because they wanted to go with the person that was putting 20% down. Yeah. Wow. And we were like, it's the same damn loan. Like the amount of money doesn't matter. And my girlfriend said, well, I guess if you factor, like if you think about it and someone who's putting 10 or even 3% down, um, the seller might think they could walk away oh, from yeah. it easier. Well, no, not just that. They just, they have less skin um, in the game. money. Yeah. Skin in the game money to play with. If uh, we need to renegotiate. Right? That's fair. So someone, okay. Someone with 20% down has got a little bit more money in the bank to play with. And mm. so I understand that. I get okay. that, but I, it, it still doesn't make, cause we had it up for 20%, but why would you put 20% down if that's all of your money? Cash is king right yeah, especially right. with these so, rates, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so keep keep as much money in the bank as possible, sure. and you know make your and as long as your payment is you know something that's still comfortable for you, sure. I don't see why it's a necessity to put twenty percent down. People hate that. PMI. People well, hate. Uh, you can buy it out. That's the other thing. Oh, you can you? I gotta say, yeah, you can go ten percent down and ten percent um, and get it. Okay. Yeah, single premium buyout. I'm doing that for one of my clients right now. And, you know, it only costs three grand to buy it out. I got a lot of sales training. Uh, I used to work in automotive sales. So talking about credit back and forth. Me too. Um, I got to say, uh, you're you're really good at uh, 
at moving everything to the yes. It's very, it's like, <laughs> it's awesome. something that's been so ingrained in me and I love it. It's just like, well, what's the rate? It's like, don't worry about the rate. What's the payment? What's the payment you can I get to? It. Just like, well, I'm, what about the down payment? It's like, don't even worry about the down payment. What's the, what's the, what's this going to go to? Well, the money's not working for me. What, what part, the monthly payment or the down payment? <laughs> Why? Cause it's, you know, yeah. it's still their money that's being ultimately altered. Like it's, right. um, it's, it's interesting that ho- housing works the same way. Right. Like ultimately, like if you understand like a lot of the ins and outs of like negotiating deals with and credit lines with banks trying to get like those sorts of vehicle loans approved, it's the same reason. Right. If it's a more risky play and this guy's offering to put 40 percent down, well, yeah, he's less likely to default on the loan. And if he starts to mess up, we can refinance with a lot more you know, leverage against it. Like, yeah, it's kind of common sense with that type of stuff. Uh, I guess my question is, how does. How do other assets that you own, like, let's say I had $100,000 in stocks and I wanted to take a loan out. Could I use some of my stocks or other assets as collateral against the loan? Um, loan I don't think you can. So I haven't had a client to be completely transparent. I haven't had a client with that scenario. So I haven't looked too far into those guidelines. Um, I know that there are people that have those as assets. Um, I think you can use up to a certain percentage of them for your down payment. And then um, you can use it as, you can use them as assets. So like when you're buying a home and you've got above a 45 uh, DTI, 45% Mm -hmm. debt to income ratio, um, and you're going a conventional Fannie Mae product, yep. gotcha. you have to have six months reserve. So I believe you can use yeah. those assets for that. Um, okay. But I'm not 100% sure. So it's I want to make that clear. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I, I'm pretty sure. That that's right. Brandon, the answer gotcha. is, you know, from traditional financing, no. But anything's possible in the in that world. It just you know what I mean. Like you can get real creative with it. The pe- yeah. there's always somebody out there that wants to lend. Now you're mm. probably going to get more into the hard money space, and that's definitely out of your or non QM or yeah. So and that's not what you want to do as a first time home buyer. So for you, <laughs> no. no, no, I don't imagine that. <laughs> And uh, to go back a little bit, it's funny that you brought that up for the car sales because um, I was in automotive sales too. I worked here at Future Ford in Roseville. Shout out. And, uh, Beautiful. You know, they're it teaches company. you things. It does teach you yeah. things, man. It taught me that I really didn't want to be a car salesman. <laughs> it, it, taught me, it taught me that I hated not having passive income. As the, mm. yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say like, you know, you'd work your tail off, you'd, uh, you'd get all your units out, you'd build good relations. And then the next month it was right back to square one. It was like, you got to reacquire new people. You have to, but it, it teaches you how to build referrals. It teaches you how to provide value for people that mm-hmm. isn't just dollars off the car. Right. It's like, Hey, I'll drive it to you. I'll have it wash gas clean. Like, you know, I will beat other offers. I'll, you know, it's uh, it teaches you to be determined, right? A sales job is the best paying, hardest job you've ever had, or it is the easiest, lowest paying gig you've ever had in your life. It's completely dependent on your like who, your mentality. You Teaches you how to hustle. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that mostly, except for um, I don't fi- I don't really um, consider myself a salesperson, and even though I make commission in loans, I don't consider myself a salesperson. Right. I consider myself more of a uh, technician of sorts. So like you come to me with a problem, Mm -hmm. I'm paying X amount in mortgage. Mm -hmm. Go into politics. I love that answer. That's great. No, no. And, and, and that's entirely different from what I meant. I meant, you know, for sure. And that's, that's what I, that's the realization I came to Mm -hmm. when I was selling cars because I wasn't Mm -hmm. a sleazy salesman. I hated it. <laughs> Love it. I had to, um, what got me to quit is I had to try and get a couple. And if you turn down anybody on a car lot, mm. you get reprimanded. Like nobody's happy with you, right? Because yeah. your, job is to, your job is to get them to get in the car, fall in love with the car. Now yeah. let's get them inside and have the sales manager close the deal. 
Mm-hmm. I got this yep. couple. They had two kids young. She was pregnant with the third. They're in a, a small, like, we'll call it a Toyota Camry. I don't know exactly, but, it, you know, a smaller car. And sure. um, they wanted to get into an SUV because now they, they're having the third kid. They've got dogs. They want to, you know, they mm-hmm. just need more room. And they're upside down in their car payment as it is. They want the most expensive one. I'm trying to show them used. They're like, no, we don't want used. And they wanted to go from a $200 a month payment to like a $900 a month payment. The guy made, the guy made okay money, not great money, but, um, you know, somehow, some way, car dealerships find a way to get a loan approved no matter what the circumstances are if they've got absolutely and i was like yeah um can't do it i don't want to do this anymore this fucking sucks i that is similarly why i got out as well i felt like i was slowly becoming the people around me and i was like it's not a good environment (laughs) and what, what was crazier was is i was i'm in the national guard so there was you know i'm used to people me showing up in uniform People seeing me going, oh, well, this guy's a U.S. Army soldier. And for the most part, they trust me. You know, they, they may not trust the institution behind me, but they look at me and they go, this guy's not out for my worst interests in mind, right? Sure. But, but when I approached somebody on a car lot in a suit and tie, yeah. people acted like I was a serial killer. It was an entirely different, like, approach, right? You have to be very friendly yeah. and, like, you have to – but, uh, you know, lawyers and car salesmen are probably, like, the most – least trust people on planet earth so just to have those two those two lifestyles i lived like contrasting like i'd show up one day and i'd walk through the dealership to pick up my paycheck or whatever in uniform and everyone's like oh thank you for your service love everything you do then i'd show up that very next day for work and it might be that same person would just mug me down right so it's like you have to put objects down in your desk to remind people you're a human like it's a it's an interesting place um and I was like, I don't like the stigma attached to the job. Not to say that there aren't great, hardworking sales professionals out there, but it's something I struggled with at the beginning. I was like, sure. I don't think I can keep doing this. It's an for interesting a long time. dichotomy. That's weird. Yeah. I like and, and I just wasn't that good of a salesperson for cars. Okay. For loans, yeah. it's a little bit different. I get to help people um, either save money mm. monthly on their existing mortgage, or I get to help, you know young families get into their first home you know yeah. the, josh i don't i don't know if you share this sentiment but first time home buyers the first like look at them as they put their key in their door for the first time like the excitement oh they the love it oh, overwhelming yeah, joy that they get out of that that's something it's that, the american dream uh, exactly and that's something that you can be excited about right? right that's something that makes you happy i was able to do that for them for cars, you know, it's different. I, I was able yeah. to make a lot of money because I conned that person into paying way over. That's what it felt like, right? Yeah. So. The people that loved you the most, you made the most money off of. <laughs> the people that fought you tooth and nail, that you put all your time and effort, sucked your whole day away, you'd make a pittance on. And mm-hmm. it felt bad. Yep. And I think uh, one of the things that I love is like as I got older, and for a lot of you younger people that might be listening to this, you realize like the true value you provide in life, your, your true value that you provide to other people it's it's what value you provide to them in their lives right like what do you make easier for them and oftentimes if you make something easy enough for people in in enough value that way then they're more than happy to compensate you right so like um you know it's i think it's wonderful what you do for people i think that's uh it's a healthy profession to be in and uh you know it actually helps like pull people out of like bad spots saves them a lot of money for sure for sure. You know, Ryan, I kind of want to transition because I have some questions here. Let's tr- you and I talked about talking about um, debt consolidation. I know you brought it up in the beginning. You touched it. Let's, uh, you know, what what kind of service? What do you think people need to look at if they're overwhelmed with credit card debt? How do they get started with debt consolidation? Because I see so much, you know, on the internet and so many ads. And to me, on the face value, I see these debt consolidation companies, and I just think scam. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. What's your take on it? How do How do you approach that? Um. Or how How yeah, should I? That's no. That that's a that's a loaded question because I share the same or similar sentiment. Yep. Um. There are some companies that don't have the best interest of the consumer in mind, and. Um, they might not technically be a mortgage lender, 
Um, so they don't have to follow the similar like consumer protected guidelines. I'm not 100% sure on that. That's something that, you know, you have to do your individual research on right, right. Um, as a consumer. Mm-hmm. But that's just my gut feeling because some of the things, and then they will use your mortgage and your assets yes. as collateral for, you know, whatever loan that they're shelling out. So it they can put people in a pinch. My recommendation is go to someone you trust. If you've got friends or family that are in mortgage, um, go to them. Can you they know, help consolidate I, credit card debt? Can you guys do that? Yeah, but you have to have an existing mortgage loan for a mortgage lender to do it because you do it through a cash out refi. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's basically what I do. I've got a tool and I think I sent you a, um, like a demo of it. Josh, you did. Yep. Um, where it, it plugs in your monthly payments, your bills and the principal amount on your credit card or whatever debt you have. Um, and it tallies all of it up. And then it also factors in what your mortgage terms are going to be. Uh, for if you refi and there's sometimes where people who have good equity in their home can justify refinancing out of a lower rate into a higher rate because it saves them so much money on their other debts because now they're paying all that off and you, you know, maybe you don't need 10 credit card accounts. I don't know. That's just my, um, you know, that's just, me personally, I, I don't want that many credit cards. Hell no. So if, I, if I can cut out, you know, two or three of those that I don't use very often, but they do have um, large, I used them a lot, like, you know, two, three years ago, and I've just been paying the minimum balance on them and they're occurring 25% uh, interest. Why wouldn't I just roll that into my mortgage at a much cheaper percentage? Like it only changes maybe... $30 a month to do like, so the, the particular instance that I saved, um, that person, $2,000 a month, they were paying roughly $1,400 a month on two credit cards in particular. They had mm. large balance. Thanks. And, um, so rolling it into their loan at, you know, a lower rate. I'm not going to give out the specifics of that. Yeah. It really only added $30 a month to monthly payments. But when you take away what their rate was and what their payment was on their mortgage, and then you take away the the $1,400 a month of what they were spending on those credit cards every month, right? it came out to a, a net $2,000 positive um, cash flow for them. Okay. To, you know, so that is kind of the theory behind it. I'm not huge on acquiring more debt to settle other debt. I love it, that. Yep. If it's not, if it doesn't make sense. And to me, if you go with a mortgage lender to do cash out on your existing property, it can make sense. You okay. just have to, you have to just go to someone who knows what they're doing and who can walk you through it. Now you can't consolidate debt, unfortunately, through a mortgage lender if you don't own a home because right. you've got nothing to collateralize it with. But um, yeah, no, that's um, I a love big that. thing. That, it's a big thing that I do because you know, as a 26 year old, I've got friends who are ready to buy first homes. Yep, and I've got friends with parents who I've known for years and years who trust me to just take a look and see if I can make numbers work for them. Yeah, I like yeah, that. beautiful. Yeah, because I got someone close to me who's trying to consolidate debt. And to be honest with you, I'm not an expert on it. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of that question. But he's got a mortgage. And to be honest with you, I didn't even think about the cash out refi from that perspective. But uh, I'm taking notes on this. I'm going to send yeah, I'm going to send that tool to him and and walk him through it because that's really helpful. Have him email me too. And I can put it, I can use that tool more tailored design to his particular okay you know what? i'm gonna do that because he's yeah. he's a good family friend so i'm gonna get him connected with you this week yeah absolutely and we can awesome. you know, we'll take a look at it and i'll see if i can help him out and if i can't i'll point him in every direction possible to help him out you know that's, that's <laughs> look at that that's beautiful <laughs> a good friend that's awesome oh man did you have any other questions brandon no i've uh, i've asked them all 
Ryan, give us, you know, as we wrap this one up, you know, give us any last minute tips for anyone geared, geared towards millennials looking for real estate. Give us your last little spiel. And more importantly, let's say uh, you're someone who is right on the fence. You're trying to make the decision whether you want to buy or not. Or rent. Yeah. Yeah. So look, if you live in California, email me. R-G-E-E at prmg.net. I'll put I'll put it in the, the description. Don't you worry. Oh, yeah. E- email me. Let me know what you're thinking. If you're thinking you're not quite sure if you want to buy or rent, I can put together, and I've showed these to Josh. They're awesome tools. I can put together yep. buyer's rent analysis, which will take essentially what your projected rent is right now, what it will be projected to be in nine years, because rent control is a thing, yeah, but... It still goes up every year and, you know, it's something that, you know, you can't control. Right. Um, Or maybe you can, maybe you're renting from a family friend and they own the house outright, but that's a very small amount of people have circumstances like that. Right. What I can also do is use tools that will show you basically the cost of waiting. You know, Mm. I'm not quite sure if I want to buy right now. I don't remember, or I don't know if you guys remember me saying this in the beginning of the pod, but appreciation's about 0.5% a month over the last few months, especially up in this area. I don't know about the rest of the country. You know, I can just talk about what I know from around this area from talking to appraiser friends of mine. Yeah. If you wait two or three months, the cost of buying the same house you were looking at yeah. or similar <laughs> is higher. Absolutely. You, you know, you're throwing money away. So talk to a trusted mortgage professional. doesn't have to be me, but I would love the opportunity to at least, you know, provide a competitive mm. analysis um, and just see if you can get pre-approved, if you can start shopping for a house, because there's nothing better than owning a house. And, um, you know, there's just, man, I, like I said, I love putting people into their house for the first time. Right. Um, so many doors can open up. If you live in that house, like I was uh, telling Brandon earlier in the podcast, if you live in that house for 10 years, you're going to acquire, you might go through some economic downturns, you know, yep. stuff like that. But you're going to be paying off principal. Eventually, everything climbs up. At least that's what history says. And right. you're, yep. going, you're going to have equity in that house at some point. Right? That's right. So you're going to be able to do stuff to play around with it. Mm-hmm. If you wait too long and you try and time the market. You'll be priced out. You will be priced out or you just might miss out on like, what yes. is the cost? What is the cost? If it yep. takes four years for the prices to come down just a marginal amount, how mm. much money did you leave on the table? And uh-huh. that's really something that I like to educate people with. I like that perspective. Right. Hey, that was beautiful. Thanks so much. Yeah, that was beautiful, right? You know, I and, and we'll have you on again because I, I love talking real estate as we're gearing this channel more more and more and talk about it because it's important to build wealth. You need real estate. And I know you would agree, Brand would agree. There isn't a millionaire out there that doesn't have real estate. You know what I mean? It's right. just something that it's a cornerstone in most people's portfolio. And I'm glad you came on and shed some light for our folks. So I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday evening and talking. Absolutely. Yeah, man. As always, thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to next week's podcast. Stay hungry guys.